Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. On this week's edition, we'll be looking at an entertaining first leg Copa Libertadores final between Boca Juniors and River Plate. And we'll also be rounding up some other bits and bobs from around the continent. So, let's get started with that dramatic Copa Libertadores final. But just before we do, I'll introduce our guest. So, Simon, how are you doing? Yeah, doing good. Just a narrow 3-2 win for me today uh, on a bank holiday Monday. So, yeah, all, is, all is good here in Medellin. How about you, Adam? How's things? Yeah, yeah. Um, pretty good. A little sad about Arika getting relegated the previous weekend, but obviously delighted that uh, Norwich are top of the table in, in back in England. So, um, yeah, taking the rough with the smooth. And I'll move across now to Tom, um, our resident Tom, is, is, is not here, but Tom, who runs the River in English account, is. So how are you doing, Mr. Nash? Hello, Adam. I'm very well. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on again. Um, yeah, I'm very well. Sort of uh, mentally exhausted by this, this Copa Libertadores final, I think, by this stage. Um, I'm in Buenos Aires, uh, very hot and rainy Buenos Aires. We've had torrential rain for most of the last few days and uh, all the entire country is talking about is this final between Boca and River. So yeah, I think most of us are, uh, we're up to our eyeballs in, the, in this game at the moment, but it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And finally, uh, Austin, how's it, how's it going? Where, where are you uh, coming from us to tonight? Uh, my parents' spare bedroom in North Carolina, so living the graduated from university life well. But I just learned that Sven Gore and Erickson once managed the Mexican national team, and that is life-changing knowledge for me. I, I just can't picture that actually happening. But it did for 13 matches in 2008 2009. Six wins, one draw, six losses, and then he was gone, but never forgotten, except by me, apparently. I don't know. Life-changing stuff, Adam, life-changing stuff. A win percentage of just under 50%, then. Not, um, not exactly ideal. Right, okay, so like I said, you know, let's get started with that dramatic Copa Libertadores final, which I think exceeded our expectations, even if it didn't meet those of uh, certain journalists and fans uh, in Europe. Um, but if you haven't heard by now, you know, it finished 2 2 at, um, at La Bombonera between Boca and River. And basically, what was, I could say, a very entertaining first leg, and it's perfectly set up for for the second leg, isn't it, Austin? It really is. And as you said, this exceeded, I think, even our highest expectations. Um, we knew that the atmosphere would be incredible, and it was, as expected. But when you get two rivals together with so much at stake and with a second leg to come... I think we were all a bit fearful that the atmosphere would greatly surpass what we saw on the pitch as far as the actual football was concerned. But all things considered, I think we were treated to uh, uh, quite the spectacle uh, on Sunday afternoon, 24 hours later than maybe we thought that it would be. Um, but I think this was a terrific advert for South American football. You had well-taken goals, you had feisty challenges, and a terrific atmosphere uh, kind of the first time in a while that South American football has been vaulted into the international spotlight. And I, I think it acquitted itself very, very well. And, and we've got a, a whole second leg still to come, which I think we can be quite excited about. Yeah, it was a, it was a perfect showcase game, really, in my opinion. I didn't really get the criticism coming from some quarters that, you know, it was a, it was a poor game. I thought certainly some of the football in the first half was actually very good. Um, Tom, where did you experience this game? I, I know, obviously, the fact you run the River in English Twitter website means that you know you were you were probably too nervous and um, and too concerned to to worry so much about you know the quality of the football. I've been in those kind of situations. You just want your team to win whatever way possible. But where did you experience the game and, um, and how did you feel that it went from the River perspective? Uh, I watched the game in a bar in a very river-centric part of town, just about seven or eight blocks from the stadium, actually. 
Uh, I watched the, the game in a bar with about 50 or 60 other River fans, and it was quite the atmosphere in there. I'll, I'll send you perhaps a video that you can tweet out with this podcast so uh, some of the some of the listeners can see the atmosphere inside the bar because it's just tremendous, really, to, to when you see the atmosphere in the, just in a bar that's on the other side of town. You think, wow, imagine what it's actually like being in a stadium. So, yeah, I witnessed it in in this bar and, and we had quite a good time. And um, like you say, it was, it was a real spectacle. I think I was obviously, like you say, I'm partial and I want River to win, but there was an element that I would agree with Austin about. It was really great to see the spectacle that, you know, the teams provide the spectacle that we really hoped they would. And there's, there's so many people around the world watching a Libertadores match for the first time. And it was just great to be able to treat them to that sort of end-to-end football and chances going in at both ends. Um, you know, it felt like a, a, almost like a Spanish Clásico with obviously not quite the same quality, but the end-to-end nature of it with both teams trying to nick the next goal. And um, I really felt that made for a fantastic spectacle. So... Yeah, it was, it was just nice to see Argentina uh, and, and South America portrayed in a good light because no, let's not forget the last time these two teams crossed in the Libertadores uh, three years ago. Uh, it was in the last 16 and the tie had to be suspended because uh, halfway through the second leg when the River Plate players were coming out of the tunnel at La Bombonera for the second half, uh, they were attacked by a Boca fan who managed to spray them with pepper spray. Um, some of the River players were really hurt and even ended up in hospital. So um, it was, you know, it was a sort of national disgrace, really, that didn't favour either team what happened that night. So it was great that, you know, three years on, we've been able to be mature enough to leave the disturbances behind or leave them to a very low level and just concentrate on how good the football was. So, yeah, I think there was a, an overall sense of satisfaction as, as a nation is there to be had beyond everyone's obvious partiality in this game. Indeed, indeed. And Simon, in Colombia, I saw that you put a poll on Twitter, I think it was the day before the game or a couple of days before the game, asking Colombians who they favour out of Boca and River. It's, it's quite interesting to me because obviously there's big name Colombians on, on both sides of the divide. I'm not quite sure how that poll ended, but the last time I looked at it, it was pretty much 50-50. Um, you know, where, where did you experience this match, and, um, and 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 was there any shouts when when it, either of the goals went in there in Medellin? Yeah, I watched the game at home. I was I was very interesting to see how the game played out, and I wanted to get a good view, so I watched it at home. But yeah, these these are two teams that have a big connection with Colombia. Um, it was very interesting to hear the replies as well as looking at the poll results. I think River just edged it. I think most of that is probably a combination of Quintero and Armani, who are big, big fan favourites here in Medellin. Um, but uh, both teams have got a lot of connections to Colombia in, in the past. At, at Boca, obviously, Serna and looking at River Plate, you know, the guys in the, from the Caribbean coast will look at Teofilo Gutierrez' time in, in River, and there's, you know, many, many Colombians who've been very important for both these sides. So I think a lot of the best Colombian players historically have at some point moved to River or Boca. So it's a game that really means a lot to people here in Colombia. Um, some of the best Colombian players even now currently play in for Boca or for River, and they were well represented on the day. Wilma uh, Barrios in midfield and, and Villa for Boca. Um, and then for River, I thought Santos Borre had a really good good game. And obviously Quintero, we didn't see much of him, but is always very enjoyable to watch. So, And Armani is a national, you know, national hero. Uh, has won more trophies than any other player in the history of Atletico Nacional, uh, Colombia's biggest team. So he's a hero as well. So Colombians had a lot of interest in this game. Um, and there was definitely shouts for both teams. I think Boca with Raquel May, who's a kind of a legendary 10 uh, for, a, for a country that loves a number 10. There's a lot of respect for Raquel May. And then it's personal connections to players who played at both clubs. But there was definitely cheers for both sides uh, when, when the goals went in. And I guess another thing we should touch on really is the fact, you know, that this game has kind of been forgotten, I think. And I, I kind of forgot about it as well, putting this show together. You know, this game was postponed for 23 hours due to um, heavy rain there in, in, in Buenos Aires, no, Tom? It was, yeah. It really rained very, very heavily uh, throughout the early hours of Saturday and, and Saturday morning and even continued in into the afternoon up until kickoff. Uh, this was something we didn't know about, actually. By 
I would say, Tuesday night or Wednesday, certainly Wednesday, the forecasters were saying there's going to be heavy rain on Saturday. So we did have a clue that it, this could happen. But yeah, the, the storms were so heavy that the pitch was just completely waterlogged. Um, the Chilean referee did a pitch inspection, I think about one hour and a half before. And he tried to just kick a ball in a straight line for 20 yards and it just came to a stop. You know, it was rolling and it came to an immediate stop after about five yards just because there was so much water on the surface of the pitch. So, yeah, they they made the, the sensible decision eventually to to push it back 24 hours and, and play it uh, almost at the same time the next day, which really worked well because there was only some very light rain the next day in Buenos Aires and um, the pitch was in, in a decent enough state. So... Um, I think it was it was a good decision. There were people who didn't want it to happen and there were people who did want it to happen. And then, and then obviously both clubs in, sort of got in this South American tradition of being suspicious of the other one's motives for trying to postpone it. So we, we had a, a heated Saturday afternoon in Buenos Aires where the Boca fans were saying, well, River only want it postponed because they could pick up uh, Skoko and Poncio, who both missed the game injured anyway, even though it took place the next day. They were sort of accusing River of trying to delay it as long as possible to try and pick up these two guys who were are injured. Um, it did cross my mind as well, actually, that if it was postponed for four days or for a week, that would probably favour River because they could have got those two players back. Um, but no, I, I don't think there was any any bad intentions there. The, the pitch really was in, in a terrible state and the streets around the, the actual stadium in La Boca as well were just completely flooded. There were cars trying to drive around that neighborhood and they had water that was halfway up the tires so um yeah they, they did come to the decision to postpone it for 24 hours in the end Adam. i think one of the first ever south american football shows i did uh, and i think austin you might have done it with me was discussing that ecuador bolivia match uh that common ball um allowed to take place at the back end of 2015 and uh it was a World Cup qualifier, and it, and it was just played in the, in the most ridiculous conditions. I did tweet out a photo uh, a couple of days ago, and, um, and I, I just recall that match being, you know, a, a complete joke. And, and I didn't think it would reflect well on, on River, Boca, Comobol, or, or anyone really, if, if that game had gone ahead on the Saturday. But huge credit to the ground staff. Who, who managed to get the game on on the Sunday because they had to move a lot of water. And is it right that River actually, you know, helped out there? They, they actually sent some rollers, didn't they, to, to La Bombonera to help get this game on? It was true, yes, it was true. Um, it was quite funny. You saw them just being loaded onto a, into a van in, in El Monumental and then they were driven across town in, in your average van and they made it to La Boca and... And they tried to use it to dry the pitch out on Saturday, which obviously that wasn't enough and the game didn't take place. But it was it was quite a nice moment because it just sort of gave you that human touch, you know, despite the, the global interest in this game and, and the bitter rivalry between these teams. It just really brought it home that they're just two sports clubs from the same city trying to get a game on that was scheduled for today. And, you know, it's something you can identify with from your days as a kid playing football on on rain sodden pitches in, in England, in my case, or in other countries, it really just brought it home that it's just two local sports teams trying to play a game. Yeah. And Adam, to, to your point of the, the Ecuador-Bolivia match, another match that comes to my mind, and Simon will remember this one well, is the River Dim match in the Libertadores last year in Medellin that they allowed to be played through a lot of rain. So we, we've seen matches played in those types of conditions before, but I, I definitely echo what Tom said in this case, Conable assuredly made the right decision, particularly given the added intrigue around this match. It would not have reflected well on Conable had, had we had this match played on a swimming pool of a pitch. Yeah, so let's get to the actual action which took place on Sunday. Um, Austin, I'll, I'll let you um, 
you know, commentate uh, your, your way through the proceedings of, of what took place in, in, in La Bombonera on, on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, so as we kind of already touched on, a, a really well-played, high-quality match, certainly higher than the quality that, that we may have expected um, coming into this match, given the conditions, given the rivalry, and the fact that there was a second leg still to come. I, I think we were correct in, in, in maybe thinking that these teams would kind of sit back and not want to make a fatal mistake early on. But that wasn't the case. Um, Marcelo Gallardo, obviously not in the stadium to manage River Plate, but he set his River Plate upside in a fairly attacking fashion. And I thought overall they were the better side in this match. Uh, Boca were maybe fortunate to to leave with a draw. But that being said, as we'll get to, they could have actually won this match 3-2, had a chance got in late. So River had had the better of the early play. Augustin Rossi, um, a controversial figure, I guess you could say, in the Boca goal, had a couple of important saves. Carlos Lampe signed for Boca to replace the injured Andrade in goal. Once again, on the bench, and Rossi has, has given Barros Galotto no reason to go to Lampe. So... Big credit to the Boca goalkeeper. On 34 minutes, Ramon Abila, who was once again handed a start. Um, that was against what I would have done was I had I been in the position of managing Boca. But Abila with a, a tight angle shot that Franco Armani was able to save, but not able to get out of danger. He spilled it straight back to Abila. And on the second attempt, Juan Chofe was able to blast it through the hand of Armani and into the net. For, for the 1-0 lead for Boca that, that sent La Bomanera into pandemonium. But River Plate were able to hit really quickly back. In fact, only a couple passes after the ensuing kickoff. They were right back into the Boca. And in Lucas Prato, the River Plate's record signing, who they brought in from Sao Paulo after he struggled during his time in Brazil there. Uh, a tight angle finish across the face of goal that Rossi wasn't able to save. That put things level at 1 on 35 minutes played. And then right before halftime, Boca had, had a long free kick that they sent up in towards the box. And that man, Dario Benedetto, who had come on in place of the injured Christian Pavone, who went off injured with 27 minutes played. It's his status for the second leg is is a big question mark. We'll have to get more on that as that leg comes closer. But Benedetto continued his fine goal-scoring form in this competition with a really, really well-taken glancing header that Armani had no chance to get. Put it into the top corner. That gave Boca a 2-1 lead at halftime. And then in the second half, a well-taken free kick by Piti Martinez. Initially, it looked as though Lucas Prato may have had his brace on this goal that went in. The replay did show that it was Izquierdos, the Boca Juniors defender, who got the final touch. And it glanced off of his head and into the net. And that gave us our final scoreline of 2-2. But as I alluded to earlier, Boca did have a chance to win this match late. Carlos Tevez, much to the delight of plenty of people who actually knew who he was, and much to the chagrin of, of plenty of people who have seen him play over the last 18 months, came on as a substitute to replace the Colombian Villa on 73 minutes played, and then had a big role in giving Boca a chance to win this match. He got behind the River Plate defense and squared a ball for Dario Benedetto, who could have had a brace and given Boca the win, but Franco Armani, who for my money and for this podcast money, the best goalkeeper in South America, was able to charge down Benedetto and block away his shot, so Boca were not able to get that goal to win it 3-2, and instead it finished 2-2, finally, finally poised for the second leg. One other bookkeeping note that we should make note of, Rafael Santos Bore picked up a yellow card on 75 minutes played, and he will be suspended for the second leg because of yellow card accumulation. So that will be a big loss that River Plate will have to replace. But Adam, as we said, a really good match of football. I think we had a great spectacle, and we're guaranteed 90 more minutes that, that should be tense right from the get-off. So uh, well done to both River and Boca, I think, from a neutral's perspective. This was a wildly entertaining match. There is an update on the Pavon situation uh, just in the last hour or so. Uh, Boca have confirmed that he uh, tore a hamstring during the game. So that all but rules him out really of the second leg because 13 days is not really enough to come back from an injury like that. It's normally at least two weeks, probably three. So it looks now as if he'll be out. Not even with Barcelona or Real Madrid or Manchester City's uh, physios, I don't think you could get a player back um, within two weeks with a pulled hamstring. No, I knew you were going um, for that joke, Adam. I, I was I was ready to make it, but I, I figured that I would I would sit back and let you get in there. I knew I knew you wanted that dig there. Indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, Tom. I, I yeah, I watched this game without you know fifty fifty basically. I, I, firstly, 
on who, yeah, if anybody asked me who I wanted to win, I'd say I don't really care. I have no, you know, no, no favorite, you know, no favorite between the two. And I didn't have a favorite between the two to actually win it, you know, for, for a prediction either. Um, but as the game progressed, I did find myself um, kind of rooting for River a little bit more than Boca, mainly because I was impressed with how they took the game to, to, to Boca in that first half. Um, I certainly felt that they edged this uh, encounter, and uh, and but I think they're a little bit unlucky not to not to be taking a lead back uh, to to a monumental. Um, my brother who was watching it, and uh, and also a friend back home in England who was watching it, they also shared this view. You know, they weren't sure who to support before, but they they're now rooting for River because because they enjoyed the way. River played much more than Boca, so seems like you know certainly uh, in my circle anyway, you've you've won some hearts and minds there. Um, but do you think that having that second leg at home pressure might just be so intense? Yeah, I've I've heard I can't remember. It might have been Tim Vickery um, last week talking about this that the will to not lose this final is kind of bigger than the will to win it. Um, which I think is a good... Because it's that dread, isn't it? That if Boca do beat River, you're just never going to hear the end of it. The fact that they've done it in El Monumental, in front of you know all River supporters... So you know, I do fear that maybe River will go into that second leg and play play with maybe a bit too much fear. What do you what do you make of that? Um, yeah, well, I think it's a valid point. Yeah, uh, they River have more to lose in that sense because um, you know at this stage it's River are never going to be lifting the the trophy in Boca Stadium, so that's not something Boca will ever have to have nightmares about. But River do, yeah. River, you know, they could be faced with that that Armageddon situation where Boca win it and, and they parade the trophy around Monumental, which is the the nightmare scenario for a River fan. Um, and there, it will it'll be interesting to see if both teams are as open and as attacking as they were on Sunday. Because, yeah, I mean, River actually surprised me. I didn't think River would go for it as openly as they did. I expected them to sit deeper and to commit less men to the to the attacks. Um, but full credit to Gachado again. He's he's a phenomenal coach and he's he's so versatile. He's he's be, he built a team that's so versatile that he was able to decide on the day of the game to play five three two with wing backs, which is something. That never happens. I don't think it's happened in the last six months for River. So he traditionally plays a four-four-two lineup. Everybody in the 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 preview, the build-up to this game, expected a four-four-two with one and one name or other in midfield. Uh, that was the only real question: was who would go into that four-four-two lineup? And then an hour before the game, the, the team sheet gets posted, and there's three centre backs on it and two wing backs, and. You think, wow, he's done it again. He's completely thrown the the book out of the window, and he's he's gone for something different, and it worked again because those wing backs, uh, Montiel down the right, particularly was in acres of space so many times. Um, he's a very young and very fast fullback that River have, but he's um, I'd say his crosses and his final delivery, his final ball is not that great. So if he'd had a, a better cross on him or a better final ball. River might have been able to uh, take advantage of that because what he essentially did was just play down the sides of Boca because they play with this 4-3-3 with uh, Nandes, uh, Barrios and Pablo Perez who are all good central midfielders, but they are that. They're central midfielders. Boca don't have a, a left winger who's interested in tracking back or a right winger who's interested in tracking back to defend. So he really just exploited those two spaces down the sides of their midfield and River, especially in those opening 20 to 25 minutes, River were really just able to get down to Boca's box quite easily. Um, that's where it got complicated because the final ball wasn't that good. And obviously, it's worth mentioning Quintero at this stage because Quintero doesn't tend to start the games for River. So they do, they do lack that quality pass when he doesn't play. So I think um, 
tactically, you have to really admire what, what Gachardo did on such a big occasion, the biggest game in the club's history. He he tried an, an untested system that even the players themselves didn't know they were going to be using six hours before the game. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that was one of the one of the points made in the breakdown of this game in Argentina was that, that, that Boca are quite rigid. They have this 4-3-3 and they use it. And, and Guillermo Barosquelotto, he has faith in this 4-3-3 system and they use that for every single game. Whoever they're playing, they play with three attackers. Whereas River are a lot more versatile. Uh, depends where they're playing, who, which players are fit, which players are in form, what result you need on that particular day. You know, Gacharo mixes up both the formations and the personnel on the day. So that's probably one of the biggest two teams that there are that exist between these two teams uh, at the moment. Yeah, I'd, I'd go along with that, and it's probably the reason why if if I had to bet on on who wins that second leg, I probably would just edge towards River simply because I do think they have the far better manager, um, certainly tactically. Um, Simon, I know that you haven't been impressed with uh, with Boca tactically and I, and I think you know we both agree that their fullbacks are a are a big issue in that side how, how did you see this game tactically yeah no I thought it was it was a very smart move by Gajardo because I I think if River had gone had played as they, as they did in the semi-final I thought they would have struggled I think that that 4-4-2 quite narrow 4-4-2 um, would have left a lot of space for Vija and Pavon to run at the fullback. So I thought it was a really smart move. And I think perhaps um, Boca basically announcing their team prior to the Saturday game, which didn't happen uh, well in advance, really gave Gajardo some time to to be sure of what he was about to face and really plot something that was going to work well. The wingbacks obviously were quite conservative uh, defensively. They're basically a line of five. But it meant that because the way Boca set up the only threat was from the two wingers, Vija on the right and uh, Pavon cutting in from the left. So what this meant was, I mean, obviously Avila is a is a you know a useful target man, puts himself about, but he's not going to make something out of nothing. So you really need to get service to him. And what the river formation meant was that there was always two men on Vija and Pavon when necessary. So if Vija had the ball on the right, uh, Casco and Pinola would would double up on him, um, and that would mean that. They would close off the options. With the fullbacks, who were very conservative for Boca, not pushing on, it meant that there was either two wide players who were marked by two players, or it meant that the wide players were cut inside, but then there would be nobody outside offering on the overlap. You know, Harder doesn't push forward, or Lassa doesn't really impress me very much. Um, so with Boca, there are three midfielders, Nandes, Barrios and Perez. Again, they're, they're ball winners who like to play, but don't necessarily push on particularly. Or drag, all come wide and offer themselves there. So, I think tactically, River got this really right, and I was very impressed by. I mentioned Santos Borre. I think he's a real good player, like very good movement, always, always moving, always moving the defense around. And I think it makes so much space. The kind of player that you just love to play with. You know, if you if you lump it forward, he'll chase it. If the defenders have it, he'll press. Uh, if you've got the ball, he'll make a run. So I think that was really important. So I was very, very impressed by River. Um, I. Before this game, I thought Boca might edge it because they have a simple approach. And I thought if this is going to be a battle, then I think maybe this simple structure for Boca might allow them to to win the midfield and then get it wide. But the tactical tweaks by Gallardo really made this, uh, you know, put this put this in favour of River, and they did very very well. So yeah, for me it was an interesting game. I think the referee as well played a massive role in making this such a good quality game. He got the balance perfectly. Um, so important in these games. Sometimes you see a referee pull out a yellow card, three yellow cards in the first five minutes and think he's imposing himself on the game. But really what that, all that does is means that players just call for a yellow card every time someone goes down and then you're in all sorts of trouble. Or they let everything go and then, again, you have a, a disgusting fight, basically, for the rest of the game. I think he was always quick to be on the spot, gave out a couple of yellow cards, but was very measured. Uh, and it really enabled the game to flow and, and get the right balance in terms of a contest. So, yeah, I think it was a really good ad- advert for South American football. And River in particular played some really, really nice stuff. Adam, I know you were pleased with the refereeing performance of the Chilean representative here in the Copa Libertadores final, Roberto Tobar, yes? Yeah, I, I think Chile basically won the Copa Libertadores with this uh, refereeing display. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but no, seriously speaking, 
yeah, I, I did see that he he got pretty pretty fair amount of praise, didn't he, over there in Argentina? Um, from from what I've heard and seen today, there's even calls for him to to referee the second leg as well. But um, I'm not sure he'll be allowed to do that. Yeah, I think most people in Argentina think he had a good game. Um, he he managed to ignore a lot of the dives. The, you know, there were a, quite a few instances where players were trying to. Uh, nick a penalty that wasn't really a penalty or nick a free kick on the edge of the box and he was really on top of all <laughs> one, those instances. One yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say one chop Avila. I don't know how many studs he had in his boots yesterday but he went down quite quite easily. Um, so, yeah, I think he did well. The only, the only little criticism that he's getting from River fans, I suppose, is that they felt that the free kick for which Boca scored the second goal from uh, it was a uh, Martinez Cuarta came in to defend to Mark Benedetto from behind uh, quite tightly. Uh, Beto, uh, Benedetto went down and got the free kick, which I think it was a little soft. And even a Racing fan told me today that he felt that was a little soft as well. Um, but that's that doesn't excuse the way that River defend free kicks, which is terribly. So, no, overall, I, I would agree. I'd give very high marks to the ref for his performance there. Adam, I, I, I'm with you on the opinion that he should just get the second leg because it'll probably be a Brazilian and that just won't represent Brazilians. Well, it, it will represent Brazilians, but it won't represent them particularly well if a Brazilian is in charge of the second leg. So Tobar for the second leg for me too. Yeah, I, I do wonder how um, other referees across the continent would have dealt with that incident between uh, Barrios and... I'm trying to think. think who, Cascal, was the, no? is, who was it? Casco, no? I think it was um, Casco, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, but they both held each other, didn't they, by the by the neck? And I uh, I do wonder, you know, maybe one referee gives the River player there a, a red card. Maybe another referee sends them both off. But you know, it it, it was a potential flashpoint, and you know, going by the laws of the game, he could have sent both of them off, but. I think he used some some common sense and, and decided it was best for the game to keep 11 players on the pitch and not start dishing out red cards as well because that you know it, it, it could just fan the flame so so yeah huge credit to Roberto Toda of Chile. I think it was like a low key performance which caught my eye really. You don't have many low key performances where the referees don't look to become the protagonista in some of these big games. Okay, I've already given my thoughts on, on, on how I think the second leg might go. You know, I'm a bit worried for River, the pressure might get to them, but I do slightly favour them just because of uh, Biaro. Tactically superior to Baro Shaloto. Um, Simon, which way do you see it going? Before I give my prediction, a quick question. Is Rafos, uh, Rafael Santos Borre now suspended for the second leg? I know he got yellow card. Yes, Austin. Austin mentioned it earlier, yeah. I think I think Ooh, it was okay. Austin. Well, that... Austin or Tom mentioned it earlier. But yeah, they said on they said on the Fox coverage here anyway that, that he was suspended for the second night, so Piers, yeah, yeah. So I think that for me is a big loss. Obviously he's not the biggest goal threat, but his movement is so so good. And and he was in Colombia he was always a very classy player who couldn't he wasn't quite sure if he was a ten or a nine or what he was, but I think he's become such a good player. I think that's going to be a big loss and it will, again, uh, impose a bit of a reshuffle. Uh, it depends on if Nacho Scott goes back. Again, a different kind of option, but I think they will miss him. Um, my, my, you know, I still think Boca are well set up to be a good counter-attacking side. Obviously, Pavon makes a whole other question as well. They don't really have the personnel to play a 4-3-3 as they did in the first leg now. Vija obviously is on one wing potentially, but... They're going to have to reshuffle things for the second leg. We'll have to see. I, I still have the the sense that Boca are better at scoring ugly goals out of nothing than River. Um, but if River play as well as they did in the first leg, I think they'll they'll nick it. So if it's a good game, I'll say River. If it's a bad game, I'll say Boca. Um, I think my man uh, Wilma Barrios is, is well suited to a, a bit of a rough and tumble affair and keeping a cool hood in there. So that's my prediction. If it's nice, we'll go we'll go Boca uh, River. If it's bad, then we'll go Boca. A bit like me then, covering covering both bases there. Um, Austin, do you want to make a firmer prediction than, than either of us? 
I mean, I don't know if, if Ramon Juan Chope Avila listens to our podcast. I, I have to think he does. Um, and if he does, he's going to be very excited w- when he hears ugly, bad goal. Because that's what he's good at. That's really the only thing he's good at. And I, I do kind <laughs> of agree with, with Simon that, that maybe this Boca team is a bit better suited to, to play and win ugly. Uh, Wilmar Barrios was fantastic, and I think he's a lot of the reason why. Uh, completed 92% of his passes, one ten of his 14 duels, nine recoveries, three interceptions. He was really, really good and is really, really good and, and is going to slot right into a, a big European team and not miss a beat. Um, I think River Plate are the better side. I think Juan Fernando Quintero still has something to say about this tie. Didn't really get that much time to do all that much. And I don't know that that was necessarily a bad decision from River. I think 2-2 was a good result from them. But if they do need a goal, or if this is you know level uh, with half an hour to play, uh, I think Quintero could play a really big role down the stretch of this tie. One other thing to note, um, I'm not sure if this has been mentioned on the show yet, but no away goals in effect, so that means any draw would not send this straight to penalties. The final in the Libertadores is the only match that would actually have extra time. So we could be looking at 120 minutes before we go to penalties. So fitness could play a really big role and maybe even a potential fourth substitution. So that's worth keeping in the back of your mind. I'm going to pick Boca just because this feels like this is a very historic tie. We've waited forever for this. And it's the type of thing that as we've said on shows past, feels like it's going to be the type of thing that will be sung about for years and decades and even centuries to come for these two clubs. And I think Boca winning on Rivers' home pitch is is probably the thing that would make it the most long-lasting decision. So I'm going to take that on that logic. Uh, I do agree with Simon, though. If, If this second leg goes like the first leg goes, then I think River Plate will win it. If Boca are able to muck it up a little bit more, maybe they scrap a goal across and hang on, or maybe they even take this the distance to penalties and win it there. I will pick Boca, but no result would surprise me in this return leg. And Tom, it feels a little bit kind of uh, cruel to ask you um, who you think will will win the second leg because obviously you know you can't say anything. Other than River, really, no? Well, exactly, yeah. I'd lose half of my followers on Twitter if I said Boca were going to win the second leg. So, uh, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to have to come out and be optimistic. I'm not a man to make many predictions, to be honest. I prefer not to make direct predictions and just uh, keep a low profile and wait for the score. Um, but if I had to make a prediction about the game, how I see it going, I, I do see uh, the extra time that Austin mentioned. I do see it being another tight game, perhaps a 1-1 or 2-2, and then perhaps taking it to extra time. Um, And then it's anyone's game. Like you say, Boca have a lot of pace and a lot of good forwards to bring off the bench. Uh, River have have Quintero, who could be decisive. And yeah, I I agree with what the guys say, really. Boca have that feeling that they're just they're they're more efficient in front of goal than River. Um, you know, River wasted a couple of chances on on Sunday to go ahead, either one nil or two one. They they missed a couple of real golden chances, but with uh, Abila and particularly Benedetto on the pitch, you just feel like Boca always have a goal in them, even when they're not playing well. They seem to pop up and score a goal. That's the way it's been for them right the way since they qualified for the the latter stages of the tournament once they got out of the group they managed to find goals just by having so much talent on the pitch even if they can't relate to each other that well or or sync perfectly they seem to manage to dig goals out of nowhere and Benedetto is in the form of his life so uh, yeah we've got a very tough match there's a, there's a lot of optimism at river when when the team bus came back to river from Boca that you know it was greeted by thousands of people who were roaring the team on and there was a sense that uh, you know river played well and, and we're optimistic about the second leg I, I don't think I think for, for now I think the optimism of winning outweighs the fear of losing but yeah really I, I would agree with Austin that no result will surprise me come uh, Sunday Saturday the 24th one quick question for the panel, Adam, before we move on. If it does go to penalties, who would you rather have, Franco Armani or Augustine Rossi? For me, it's Armani. Is Armani good at penalties, though? It's a, it's a different skill. 
isn't it? I can't. Yeah, well, I can't remember. He doesn't stick out to me as a penalty saving goalkeeper, and I don't know enough about Rossi to say either way. Even well, with with Armani, because in Colombia we have so many penalty shootouts. You know, we have two play uh, two championships a year, cup competitions. Um, the the championship is decided by a knockout game, so there's a lot of penalty shootouts. And Armani has been a hero in a number of them. Um, I can think of the top of head three or four big games where he's had. Uh, some decisive saves. I think he's he's a smart goalkeeper. Obviously, disappointing um, mistake for I say a mistake uh, for the first goal, but I think his his reading of the striker is good. Not the most naturally athletic, but I think he's very smart at reading it and making good decisions. So uh, Rossi obviously was very impressive as well. Obviously, much maligned Rossi, but I think he's uh, kept a few critics quiet with his performances in the last couple of games. But I think Armani is a, is a very level-headed goalkeeper. I think he might um, make the right decisions, read the, the runner, and, and perhaps be the difference in the final. We'll have to see. Tom? Uh, yeah, well, if you, you push me, I have, I have to say Armani. Uh, he's been so good for River. Um, I actually had that exact same question that you did, Adam, and I put that to Simon on Twitter last week. I, I'm not aware of Armani being either good or bad at penalties. I had no recollection. Um, but yeah, I'm quite comforted to hear Simon's words that he's got a lot of experience in this from his time in Colombia and yeah if there's one man we're going to put faith in 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 the team then I would go with Armani he, he's been absolutely superb for River this season all right I'm changing my prediction after after hearing all the information I'm going to pick River to win it on penalties with Tevez missing the final penalty oh. <laughs> I think that would be a dream scenario for, for many River fans Although, I, think that's, the, I sure. think that's the only thing that could match the glory of Boca winning on River's home pitch would be Tevez missing the final penalty so I'm going with well that. actually I just just butt in there to say there's probably some listeners that don't realise that there's a bit of history with, with Tevez and Copa Libertadores games at the Monumental and penalties yeah, the because, famous uh, uh, chicken Bo- dance no? exactly yeah Boca knocked River out of the semi-final on penalties in the Monumental in two, I think it was 2004 when Tevez was a very young man just coming out of the Boca youth setup. and yeah he, he scored the equalising goal deep into injury time I think to take the game to penalties and he did the chicken dance which is quite a provocative dance to, to River's fans so uh, it, there would be a sense of uh, a sense of irony if it were to go the way you said, Austin. <laughs> All right, I'm convinced. That's my official prediction now. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you this for free, Tom. It was going to be a very, very long um, two weeks. Well, it's not quite two weeks now, is it? It's what the twelve days from from when we're recording this pod on the Monday night. But yeah, that will go. Very, very slowly. The only kind well, of experience I've had of this is when Norwich met Ipswich in a playoff semi final in 2015. And the week between the first and the second leg of that was <laughs> the slowest in my life. I just well, yeah, I just, I just add Adam that in, in, over here in Buenos Aires, we, we all agree we just prefer the next leg to be on Saturday now. Um, it's not going to help Pavon to recover, so Boca don't even care now. Uh, the River fans, we'd all just prefer it to be next week and spend five days being nervous about it than spend 12 days being nervous about it. So, yeah, the, the whole city agrees it should just be in this coming Saturday rather than the one after. One last quick question. Uh, Nacho Skoko definitely back for the second leg. Is he going to start up top? Yeah, it seems so. It doesn't seem like you have many problems for, uh, for the second leg. So, yeah, the logical... Uh, Partnership would be uh, Prato Skoko. That's if Gashara decides to play 4-4-2, which there's no way of forecasting that whatsoever. Right. Okay. Just to just to round this pod off with with something a little bit different. We're, uh, we're, we're going to go around our various countries to see the latest news in them. Um, Austin, I'll begin with you. Palmares look well set for their second title in three years. Um, you appear to have been a good luck charm since, since you decided to support them, really. I mean, I didn't use the term you did, but I won't deny it. Uh, my first year supporting Palmares, they nearly got relegated but didn't, and it's been... 
good times for the most part since then. Yeah, five matches to play in the Brazilian Down. Palmeiras are five points clear of their closest challengers who are Internacional, who this week were held to a 1-1 draw by surprising Ceará, who, who look as though they will avoid relegation and meet up with their uh, fellow Fortaleza side, Fortaleza, in the top division next year, who have, have clinched the Sede Bay under Rogério Ceni's managerial uh, tutelage. But yeah, Palmeiras are, are in really good shape. A, a big draw this weekend, battling back to draw 1-1 with Atletico Mineiro. The final five matches for Palmeiras are against four teams that are in the relegation fight, including one who is already, already relegated, and a Fluminense side that are as thoroughly mediocre mid-table as it can be. So it'll be difficult for Palmeiras to lose the title from here, given what Internacional now have left. But stranger things have happened. It's football. That's why they play. Uh, Flamengo and Gremio look like they'll be qualifying for the Libertadores. São Paulo will as well, even though they just sacked their manager, Diego Aguirre, in yet another edition of São Paulo sacks a manager too soon. Those five teams are, are guaranteed a spot in the Libertadores, as well as Cruzeiro, who won the Copa do Brasil, and now have two months where basically nothing happens for them. They're sitting at, at ninth in the table, under no pressure for the rest of the year. Uh, the only question is between Flamengo, Gremio, and Sao Paulo, who will qualify directly for the groups, and who will end up having to go through those two qualifying rounds, which could be big. And then there's a big fight for the other spot in the qualifying round. Right now, Atletico Mineiro are in that spot, but Santos, Atletico Paranaense are all in contention for that. So something to keep an eye on as it goes down the stretch. Very quickly, at the other end of the table in Brazil, Paraná gone and quickly forgotten, relegated with about six matches to play. Um, just absolutely dreadful. They finally won at the weekend, but it had been 18 matches since they last won a league match. So to no one's surprise, they've been relegated. And then you've got about five teams, six teams competing for the other three spots. As it stands, America Mineiro, Chapecoense, and Vitoria are in the relegation spots with Sports Recife, Vasco da Gama, and Ceará, the three teams that could also go down. For my money, Ceará have kind of had a, a season of destiny, particularly in the second half. They've been really good. I don't see them going down. Uh, so it'll be down to those other five for the other three spots. And America Mineiro, it's hard to see them staying up considering they were the team that lost to Paraná this weekend, and they've now accounted for two of Paraná's four wins this year. So that's the quick update from Brazil. Looks to be fairly status quo as far as the Libertadores is concerned next year. Internacional will be back, but all of the big names, uh, with the exception of Corinthians, who fell in the Copa do Brazil and are looking at a spot in the Copa Sul-Americana instead next year, should be back for the Libertadores. Palmeiras, 18 unbeaten in the league as well under Luis Felipe Scolari, I should mention as well. And in news relating to this podcast, I just, I just thought we should mention the fact that uh, Rogério Orseni, uh, the Fortaleza manager these days, um, has, has managed to, to get them up in his first uh, full season in charge. Yeah, long-term listeners to this pod will remember that we did, uh, we did a special podcast with his assistant, Michael Beal, um, Bill isn't with him anymore, but they were together at Sao Paulo, and uh, unfortunately, that that ended, you know, quite quickly um, after we had done the pod. Um, but you know, Seni's really bounced back well up there in the north of Brazil, hasn't he? Yeah, he has, and they've been the runaway winners of the second division in Brazil. They're the one team who's who's guaranteed to come up with with two matches to play. They've already won the title. It'll be really interesting to see what happens because, as I said, São Paulo sacked Diego Aguirre. Are they thinking of, of trying to bring Rogério Ceni back for next year? I don't know that that's what Rogério Ceni wants at this point in time. It's not a very good São Paulo side. He's in a good situation at Fortaleza where I think they'll be going up with some momentum. And if he stays and if they keep their squad together, I think they should be able to stay up next year. But a big credit to him. They've played really good football this year in the second division of Brazil, the deserved champions of that division. And as it stands right now, obviously a lot of time before the, the first division starts next year, I think you'd have to favor them to stay up. And Simon, in Colombia, I see that Atletico Nacional are in the Copa Libertadores next year via the Cup. But they suffered a shocking defeat in the league, if I'm not mistaken, at the weekend. And I think you should also give the listeners an update on who's coming up um, to the Colombian top tier as Carlos Valderrama's hometown club, I believe, is, uh, is, 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 is going back 
to the Primera División in, um, in Colombia for the first time in 13 years. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, we'll start at the bottom. Um, well, Leones and Bojica Chico are the two relegated teams. Leones never really looked close to survival. Very much a basically a Sunday league team that made a miraculous promotion and, and you know, had a, put in a good effort but were never really competitive. And they've somehow managed to uh, eliminate Atletico Nacional. They lost the last six games. Um, actually, Morello of of Medellin, of uh, Santa Fe said, look, we have to win because there's, it's unthinkable that Nacional could not win against Leone, so we have to win. And the unthinkable happens, 2-2 draw, um, the tiny club, and you know, also surprising that tiny Itagui Leones, who really depend a lot on Atletico Nacional for loans and for some financial support, uh, didn't throw the game um, against their big, big brothers across the city, but it happened. They got a 2-2 draw and Nacional found themselves down in ninth place and out of the qualifying for the finals. The top eight get in. The top eight this year, Deportes Tolima, who were also the first champions, so are in the Copa Libertadores next year already. They're, they finished top of the league. Once Caldas, another coffee region side second. La Equidad, a little Bogota team who had an amazing season. Peralta, a striker who's been a journeyman, second division striker, found himself top goal scorer this year, and they really look quite good, La Equidad. Bucaramanga, really interesting side, came in fourth. Then Independiente Medellin, Junior, Rio Negro, Aguilas, and our favourite, Santa Fe, make up the top eight. So there's a, quite a few surprises in the, the final playoffs now uh, for this year's tournament. We'll see what happens. Um, it's going to be Medellin against Bucaramanga, Santa Fe, Tolima, Junior, Lejidad, and Rio Negro, Aguilas against Caldas. So Medellin have also already qualified for the Libertadores because of their overall annual points total, the, the combination of the first tournament and the second tournament. So, so far, the qualifiers are Tolima, Nacional, and Medellin, and whoever wins the fourth place by winning the league. So we'll have to see. In terms of promotion... Big win today for Union Magdalena. It's a club that was actually founded by some of the great Austrian players, some of the great Czech players who fled Europe after the Second World War uh, with communism and, and the, the problems in Europe. They moved to South America. They turned up at the port in, in Santa, uh, Santa Marta and they set up a team which uh, ultimately became champions in 68 and was the, the first club of Valderrama. Um, they've been in the second division for, I think, 10 years. Uh, they've built a new stadium. Uh, they've got a bit more money. I think the players have been given some big bonuses for getting this promotion. So this was a big year for them and they've they've succeeded. They've um, won their group in the Colombian second division playoffs and they also finished top of the league. So as long as Cucuta go up as well, then the, there will be no need for a second playoff round. It's complicated. But basically, if Cucuta win their group, and Union Magdalena have already won their group. Then the final will be played between Cucuta and Union Magdalena. But both sides will be promoted to the top division as they finish first and second in the annual tournament. It's complicated, but that's Colombia. Um, so, yeah, so lots of drama going into the final, uh, the playoffs. We're at the quarterfinal stage. One more Libertadores spot up for grabs. And uh, happy to see Union Magdalena, a one-club city, represented in the top division as a second Caribbean side uh, alongside Junior. So, yeah, lots of interesting happenings in Colombia. And we're getting down to the final stages of the league as well. Simon, a, a quick question. So both Nacional and Medellin are in the Libertadores next year. But at least Nacional and perhaps Medellin as well, they'll both have to come through the playoff round to make the group stage, correct? Yes, yeah, both, both uh, while winning the cup, they go into the, the second qualifying round. So they ha they'll have to go through two rounds to get to the to the group stage. Um, if Medellin win the league, obviously then they go straight into the groups. So we'll have to see. So for me, hopefully, I'm hoping to have two local teams in the Libertadores next year. And if Rio Negro somehow win the league, then I'll have another one just around the corner. So that'll be fun for me. But we'll have to see what happens. But at the moment, the two teams are in the qualifying stages of next Libertadores. At least. Okay, I'm just going to rattle through Chile as quickly as I can. I have some good news and bad news to bring our listeners. Um, for those of you who sent me good luck messages and, uh, and good vibes before Arika's uh, do or die match against Santiago Wanderers last weekend, I thank you. But ultimately, despite taking the lead, um, unfortunately, we lost. Arika lost and we're relegated to the third tier. Um, at the moment, the club 
still exists. Um, and there's been a major emergency meeting between the fans um, in, in the last week and they're demanding changes um, in the club and hopefully a new president is going to emerge and, and come save us. Um, but yeah, whatever happens, they'll be in the third tier next year. Um, the good news is that the performance and result of the Chilean women the other night, they got a famous 3-2 win away to Australia despite being 1-0 down and also they were 16-1 to to win that match, um, pre-match. Um, and if you followed the story of women's football in South America via this pod and the website over the last uh, year or so, then you'll know just what a huge moment that is for Chilean football, South American football in, in relation to the women's game. And, uh, and that reminds me, Austin, that you wanted to mention about Argentina's women's side pretty much through to the World Cup next year to join Chile and Brazil. No? Yeah, so it looks as though there'll be three South American teams at next summer's Women's World Cup in France. Argentina and Panama met in a two-legged playoff, and in the first leg, Argentina at home uh, recorded a 4-0 win over the Panamanians, so they will take that advantage to the second leg, which will be played, I believe, tomorrow. We're recording this on Monday night, so by the time it's out, it should be confirmed, but uh, given what I've seen of the Panamanian squad and of the Argentines and how that first leg went, anything but Argentina qualifying for the World Cup would be shocking. So it'll be great to see three South American nations at that World Cup, including a Chilean side making their debut. Uh, so small steps, but steps nonetheless for women's football in South America. Indeed, fingers crossed. Um, yeah, back in the Chilean leagues in Primera B, one of Santiago Wanderers, who are arguably the fourth or fifth biggest club here in Chile, Cobra Loa, who also have a claim to that title of being the fourth or fifth biggest club, as they were once runner. well, they were twice runners-up in the Libertadores final decades ago. And also... Cobra Sal, the 2015 Primera Division winners, um, one of those three clubs will be going up to the top tier. Um, Cobra Loa are the team who await the winner of Wanderers and Cobra Sal um, next week. So, so yeah, that, that, that's going to be a fascinating race for promotion. Coquimbo Unido um, won automatic promotion from Primera B, so, so, so they return for the first time in 11 years, I think it was, to to the top tier. Um, in the Primera División, the race, the title race is between three universities. Um, they're not actual universities, but named after universities. Um, Universidad Católica, who remain the favourites, are two points clear with two to play. Um, they've led the division for pretty much a whole season, but... I still think they're going to blow it because that's what Universidad Católica usually do. Universidad de Chile are now second after scoring a last-minute penalty against San Luis. San Luis are pretty, well, they're almost definitely down, barring some mathematical miracle. Um, so Lu are, are second favourites, but in my opinion, they have the better fixtures remaining. Um, there's only two games to go, but I, I fancy their fixtures more than I do Católica's. And, and in third, Universidad de Concepcion, they also have a chance, but they obviously need the, the, the two above them to both slip up, which I think is unlikely. Yeah, so a fascinating title race there with two weeks to go. And, and that's about it. Tom, in Argentina, you know, it's, it's not even halfway through the season yet, is it? So there's not a whole deal to report apart from the fact that Racing lead the way. I think they're six points clear now. I think I read on Twitter. Exactly. Yeah. It's um, yeah. The, we follow the European schedule here, so it's just about coming up to the halfway point in in this short season that we have in Argentina. There's only 25 games. Remember, 26 teams in the Superliga are only playing each other once. So we're at the 12 game stage out of those 25, and Racing have a six point lead over Huracan. Uh, Uda can have a game in hand as well, so they are potentially the closest team to Racing at the moment. But um, yeah, Racing have really done very well. They, they've just since they they took that beating that night at River, which was a game I went to. Um, they've really responded in the only way possible. They've they've got their head down in the Superliga and they've worked hard and they've built up a lead. They've got 29 points from 12 games, so they've been really really good in the domestic league this season. 
uh, and Independiente down in third since they got knocked out of the Libertadores and actually focused on the Superliga a bit more. Their form has really picked up. So they're currently seven points behind their their great neighbours over there, Racing. Um, so who knows? You might get treated to a, a Racing Independiente title fight, which would be most entertaining for the neutrals. Uh, and for those of you wondering about River and Boca, obviously with their minds completely focused on the Libertadores, the league is almost uh, been abandoned, really. Boca are eight with 18 points and River are 11th two points behind that uh, both teams have pretty much forgotten that the Superliga even exists at this stage so there'll be some ground to catch up for them both there just to qualify for the Libertadores next year and just another word I wanted to say uh, across the water over in Uruguay uh, I'm just reading here on Twitter that Peñarol are the 2018 Uruguayan champions. They beat Nacional. Of course they did, because those two guys are always playing out the games in Uruguay. So Peñarol beat Nacional 2-1 in the the great Centenario Stadium. And they are the 2018 champions. Uh, First time they've won back-to-back leagues since 1994. So that's what's going on in Uruguay and Argentina. And Adam, that, that pitch at the Centenario in, in Uruguay, perfectly manicured for the big match, no? What does this relate to, guys? I'd miss this. It was doing the rounds on Twitter over the weekend that they sprayed the pitch there in, uh, in Montevideo uh, with, with some green paint. Um, the pitch was looking rather um, brown, shall we say, and, uh, and somebody had the genius idea to spray it with green paint. So um, I don't know how it held up. Um, I don't know if they had the same kind of uh, heavy rain that you got there in Argentina. <laughs> but um, <laughs> if they did, but I imagine that most of those Peneron and Nacional players came off looking like Hulk. Wow. I wasn't aware of this, actually. No, I only found out the game was happening after it happened. Uh, obviously, all the media attention here was on Boca River, so I just happened to catch sight of this on Twitter today that it had happened, but I wasn't aware that the pitch had been spray-painted now, and the answer to the weather question is yes, they probably did have the same weather, because Montevideo is only about 120 miles east of Buenos Aires, so we tend to get the same weather just a couple of hours after us, so it probably ended up in a green sort of mud bath for the players, yeah. I think I'm going to have to dig out the video of that after this pod. Um Tom, I'll come straight back to you just to see what you have to plug. So, yeah, you can find me, uh, all the River and Libertadores news. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's uh, River in English, uh, Carp, C-A-R-P underscore English. And, yeah, I'll have as much updates as you need about this this historic final, which is only just over a week and a half away now. And Austin? The listeners can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. I've been making the rounds of some English radio stations, our our usual spot on on Extra Time on TalkSport. I've had some appearances on The Social on TalkSport too. Uh, So follow me on Twitter and and I'll keep you updated as to to when those are happening. Uh, Nothing written that is still relevant. Uh, I did write a piece after the the River Plate Gremio match um, on why, as I pointed out on the podcast, why I felt River Plate should have been been punished heavily by Conwell. That obviously didn't happen, nor did I expect it to, but that's still on the website if you, if you want to go relive that. And we will eventually be recording some new Scouting Spotlight podcasts once the, the schedule is all aligned for, for the crew. So keep a lookout for those as well. And Simon, go on then. How many followers have you got, et cetera? <laughs> well, I got to the 5,000. So uh, cheers. Cheers, everyone. It's, it's not even my football content. It's because I'm asking the big questions in Colombia. Who brings the presents? Baby Jesus or Santa Claus? What do you call a lime? Is it a lemon or a lime? You know, all the big questions that matter. You know, I'm, I'm striking a chord. Um, so, yeah, at, on Twitter, at Simon Edwards, SAF or stuff. Uh, looking forward to doing my scouting spotlight with, uh, with Austin and, uh, and Tom at some point so I can big up my man, Jorman Camposano, and uh, I think Vijay as well, uh, a very interesting player for Boca. So, yeah, and uh, some coverage on the, the finale of the Colombian League and, and whatnot on Twitter. So, follow me over there. Cheers. And you can find me at AdamBranson84 on Twitter. Um, I haven't got anything to plug right at this moment. I might have one or two pieces 
out in the in the in the next week or two. So keep an eye on my Twitter feed for those. So it's just left to say a huge thank you to Austin, Tom, and Simon for joining me on this pod, especially for Tom because he joined at very short notice um, to share his experiences of that Super Classical final. Um, a huge thanks to our listeners for choosing this South American football show pod once again. Please rate and review us on iTunes if you get the chance. Every little help. And it's goodbye.